Thank you, Anita, for ministering in music. I have a note here that Karen had given to me, Joan Whitesoy called, and would like prayer for Brian tomorrow morning. Uh, he's having some type of surgery to check on, to see how his wound is healing. And also, I don't often mention things like this, but uh, I remember where I was 18 years ago today. I was at a wedding 18 years ago in the afternoon, then went to a reception and would, was probably eating at this time at the reception. I'm not sure. Danny and Karen might know better. It was 18 years ago that Danny and Karen get married. And uh, I told Ruth Ann, I said, there's some days I remember, and I remember that day for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons I remember is because of Danny and Karen's wedding. And another reason I remember, I have ups and downs in life. And that period of time was one of my downs, pretty down physically, you know, just I kind of associate things. But thankful for 18 years of marriage for Danny and Karen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. So we interact with it tonight. We want to be doers, not hearers only. In Christ's name, amen. Discussing the fact that we can't live the Christian life Last week and this week, we're discussing resources that we have in Christ. And a question as we begin, looking for response, what is present and evident in the saint in Christ that cannot be present, present and evident in the religious people who seem to live good lives? What is present and evident in the saint in Christ that cannot be present and evident in religious people who seem to live good lives? Worship Worship from the heart, truly from the heart. May I add for God's glory. Okay. Anyone else? Pardon? Okay, the Spirit's power. Peace. Any others? Humility comes to my mind because you have to be humble to come to Christ. You have to be humble, you know, as we live with Christ. Any others? Another question ties in with the one we just discussed. What can't a religious person possess, but the saint in Christ possesses and displays it? Again, the two questions are interrelated. What can't a religious person possess, but the saint in Christ possesses and displays it? True love. True love. Unconditional giving, expecting nothing in return. Fruit of the Spirit. Keep in mind the fruit of the Spirit is just what it says. It's fruit. It's produced by the Spirit. Any other response? Abiding in Christ. 
touched on that last week from John chapter 15. Any other response? I made the statement, and I make it quite dogmatically, that we cannot, as believers, in and of ourselves live the Christian life. And discussing some resources that we have in Christ, we considered three last week, we want to consider three additional this week. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And tied in with what we're discussing, the idea that we can't live the Christian life means that we need resources beyond ourselves. And that comes from the fact that I am a saint. And that's God's decision. And that'll be brought out as we read a number of passages. Romans chapter 1. We have Paul kind of introducing himself, introducing his book in verses 1 through 7. He shares his longing to visit Rome. But in verse 7 of chapter 1, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Addressing the believers in Rome, and he says, you're called to be saints. Now go over to chapter 3 and verse 10. Chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Are the Jews any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is concluding a section on humans and their condition. And his conclusion is given in these verses. No one righteous, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. They've together become worthless. That's true of all humans outside of Christ. Jeff is not righteous, not even Ray. Bill does not understand, and Jane doesn't seek God. But yet at the beginning of the book, he says to all who are, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You read and meditate on Romans 3, 10 through 18. Reminds us of our deadness. But yet he says, they're saints. And as we discussed last week in verses 21, 
through 31 of chapter 3, there's a righteousness available, and that righteousness comes upon those or to those who believe. So who are we if we're believers in Christ? We're saints. We're set apart. I don't become a saint by doing good or living a good life. I am born a saint. Not physical birth, spiritual birth. We're born into the family of God and we become set apart ones. We become saints. We don't achieve sainthood. We are given sainthood through Christ and his once for all sacrifice. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, we'll start with verse 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Skip down to chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, that is you in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul says you were dead in transgressions and sins. You followed the ways of the world. You followed Satan, the prince of the power of the air. You followed your own sinful desires. You were a child of wrath. But yet in verse 1, he says to the saints in Ephesus. How'd that happen? Verse 4 of chapter 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You say, well, people who live basically decent lives as believers are the saints. Well, Paul calls the believers in Corinth saints. He doesn't use the word saints. He says to those set apart, same Greek word. But yet the believers in Corinth were divided. So we have Paul followers sitting over here. We have Peter followers here. We have Apollos followers here. We have Christ followers in the back. They're a divided church, but he yet calls them saints. They were tolerating immorality in their church, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which we touched on this morning, but yet he called them saints. Apparently they were taking each other to court, but yet he calls them saints. Sainthood is not dependent upon your life. And how you live depended upon Christ and what he did. So I can't. I can't do anything to become a saint. Those who say I can, they're asking, did I do enough today? I can't fail. Will God accept me? You know, maybe someday I'll become a saint, you know, if I do enough. If you're focused on doing to become a saint, you'll never become a saint because sainthood requires humility and brokenness and saying, God, I'm a sinner. I can do nothing. 
Now, again, we're changing. We change from sinner to saint. So some application is applied to freedom that we have in Christ. My identity has changed from sinner to saint. So someone comes up to you and you're really going through a deep struggle and you've blown a number of times and they say, well, who are you? And you say, oh, I'm just a struggling sinner. Why didn't you say, I'm a saint? The believer's identity has changed from sinner to saint. I desire to live my new identity at school, on the job, and how I use the computer, and so on. So if we move from sinner to saint, that also affects our desires. Where Paul says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. It affects our desires, too. So we can't. But in Christ, he has moved us from sinner to saint. Any comments, questions before we go on? Okay, let's look at Ephesians 1. Begin reading with verse 3. Now he's writing to the saints in Ephesus, and he says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been blessed with spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, and he says every spiritual blessing in Christ. Have we been blessed? Are we blessed? Or do we hope to be blessed? Which is it? Have we been blessed? Are we hoping to be blessed? Or are we anticipating being blessed? In this context of this verse. Okay. Have been. Past. Now notice he says, blessed in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing, we're talking unseen blessings, but with every spiritual blessing. So can God give you any more blessings in terms of these spiritual blessings? No. No. You already have them. He goes on to explain some of them in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. One of these days in the future, you're going to stand before God if you're a believer in Christ holy, free from sin, and blameless, no one being able to bring a charge against you. So Bill won't be able to say, but God, you don't know Jane. (laughs) He thinks she's pretty good already, right? Or Peggy won't be able to say, but God, you don't know Alan. (laughs) going to be presented holy and blameless, a spiritual blessing. In love, he predestined us, in verse 5, to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. Adopted. God took dead people, according to chapter 2, 1 through 3, dead in transgressions and sins, who followed the world, followed Satan, and followed their own sinful nature, which includes all of us, and adopted us. It's kind of like you're going out and saying, I want to find the worst person in the world, just has a terrible life, gets into all kinds of trouble, and that's the child I want to adopt. We couldn't get any more dead. But he adopted us. He goes on in verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Notice it's the riches of God's grace, the riches of this undeserved favor that he lavished on us. And he did it with wisdom or skill and understanding. Because of that grace, we have redemption. And the idea of redemption is being bought from slavery to sin. And we have forgiveness. So I can't live the Christian life I've been redeemed I've been bought from slavery I've been forgiven I can let go of my sins there have been quite a, or been quite a few mornings when I've gotten up in the morning I spend some time reading scripture and praying and so on and then I'm supposed to be on the treadmill during the winter since the cold air is too much for my lungs as I get older. And almost every morning when I think about the treadmill, I say, I hate this thing. Much sooner run outside. You know, you're making some progress. You know, you can see that I ran a half a mile. I can go a half a mile on the treadmill. And where have I been? Same place I was, you know. And I know that I well, just to the doctor this past week, and he asked me again, you know, are you keeping up with exercise? And the reason he's concerned, he knows that if I don't exercise, I'll probably go back pretty quickly, physically. So what do I do? And quite often, I say, Lord, I don't feel like doing my exercises upstairs that I do first and then go downstairs in the treadmill. I say, okay, Lord, I've been redeemed. I've been bought from slavery to letting my bodily desires control me. And for your glory... Because I've been redeemed, I've been bought from slavery to sin, I will use my temple for your glory and get some exercise. I can't. I don't want to. It just my, I rebel almost against the treadmill. But I've been redeemed. You say, God really care about whether you exercise or not? Well, I think he does, for me at least, because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and if I don't exercise... There's going to be some pretty dire consequences fairly quick. But that's part of the redemption. So I'll tell them another story about myself. So the doctor says, your cholesterol is pretty high. It's been that way for years, Dr. Scott. And he said, you know, it's pretty high. I said, no, we'll talk about it a little. And uh, he says, you watch your diet? I said, I watch my diet pretty close. I eat too many chips probably, and I like peanuts. Well, he said, nuts are good for you if you 
eat them in moderation. Chips are probably not good for you. You ever think about redemption in the context of sitting down and seeing some chips and saying, I don't have to give in to them. I've been redeemed. I've been bought from slavery to giving in to bodily desires. Just trying to make the fact that we can't live the Christian life practical in day-by-day living. You go to your job and you don't like something in your job. I've been redeemed. I've been bought from giving in to the incorrect desires that I might have. And with that, we have forgiveness. Many of us are tempted when we blow it to carry around our sin. Boy, I really blew it this morning. Really blew it today. If God doesn't keep record of it, why do you? You ever consider that forgiveness is past, present, and future? The sins that you will commit in the future have already been paid for and they're under the blood. And those that you dwell on in the present are already taken care of. Now, if we're living a life I can, thinking we can live the Christian life, then we have the idea, did I confess all my sins today? Never try to make sure you got all your sins confessed. Never go to bed at night and think, ah, oh, did I confess all my sins? And get up in the morning, you know, I got any sins to confess. Why do we dwell on sins? We're saints, we're redeemed, and we're forgiven. We say, don't you take sin serious? I take sin very serious because it costs Christ his life. But I think God is big enough to convict me of sin. I don't need to dwell on them. So if I sin, God, that wasn't good, but I'm thankful and I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And I will try to deal with the thought process under that sin. But let it go also because God has let it go. We have forgiveness. So think about that in the context applied to freedom in daily living. I don't have to be unforgiving toward my coworker. I desire to lay aside looking at pornography. It destroys me in my relationships because I've been redeemed, been brought from slavery to sin. I can let go of that. The power of sin has been broken. My understanding is that you can take a full-grown elephant, tie a simple rope around its hind leg, tie it to a little stake in the ground, and the elephant would not even try to get away. The reason for that is they take young elephants when they're very young, tie them securely, and then elephant, the young elephant will try to get away, and it can't because it's tied securely. And after being tied securely long enough, it figures I'll never get away. You have an adult elephant. I'm tied up. Don't even try. And I think the enemy wants us to think that way about sin. You remember you were dead in transgressions and sins. You didn't understand. You enjoyed your sin. Oh, yeah, you've come to Christ. But you can't have victory. 
remember, you're tied to the sin stake. And God says, no, you're not. I've redeemed you. I've forgiven you. And that becomes a thought process. I'm free. Can't live this Christian life. But I've been redeemed from sin. I've been forgiven. I don't need to dwell in sin. I don't need to think I, I can't handle this sin because I have been redeemed. We can't, but in Christ we can. Any comments before we go to another item? <clears throat> Two books beyond Ephesians to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Again, in Colossians 1 and 2, Paul talks so very much about being in Christ. <clears throat> the believers in Colossae were facing some teaching, apparently, that said, uh, you need to go through this being and this being and this being to get to God. And one of the beings you have to go through is Christ. He was one of a number. And when you speak to some people in our world today, especially those from other religions, they're willing to add Christ to their series of gods. And Paul says, you can't do that. Christ is one of a kind, if you want to say it that way. And in verse 3, he says of chapter 2, I'll start with verse 2. Of chapter 2, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He goes on. In verse 6, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. Hollow and deceptive philosophies quite a few of them floating around in the world that will tell you to try this. And you'll get some type of result. But Paul says in verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you may given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. He goes on in verse 11 and 12 to talk about circumcision. Not physical circumcision, but circumcision of the heart. But in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge dwell. And then in verse 9, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. When Christ came to this earth, he was fully man. We'll see that next Sunday morning as we discuss some things related to Easter and Palm Sunday. Fully man. So when he was tempted in the garden, he was tempted as a man. Like any other man would be tempted in the garden. He's hungry. 
Think about that. He fasted 40 days and the tempter comes along and turning stones to bread. He was tempted. He's fully man. He's fully God. You say then the temptation wasn't real. It was real. He was fully man. But yet he was fully God. The fullness of deity lived in him. It says the fullness of deity lives in bodily form that is in Christ and you have been given fullness in Christ. So the fullness of deity lived in Christ when he was on this earth. And what have we been given? Fullness. Ties in with Ephesians 1. We've been filled full and remain full. Be like you pull up to the gas pump. You fill your gas, car with gas. You pull away and you think, well, in three or four or five hundred miles, I have to fill it again. And drove about 200 miles and you say, oh, my tank's still full. Drive about 500 miles and you say, well, my tank is still full. I wonder what's wrong here. I better go get, get it checked out. So you pull up to a gas pump and you go to put some gas in and it doesn't take any. It's full. You drive another 50,000 miles and the tank is still full. That's where Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Colossians is coming from. We as believers in Christ have been filled full. God has given us everything that we need, the fullness that Christ had. He has given to us in the sense that the resources we need to live godly are present in us. So I'm completely filled full, that is, in Christ. I have permanently all I need to walk with God and live well 24-7. I don't know if you ever found yourself doing this. You face a temptation and you say, God, help me. And God says, my answer to your prayer is that I've already helped you. You're ready filled full. What are you going to do for me, God? I already did everything I can do for you. It's your choice to apply the resources that I've given to you. You're filled full. But God, this is really a big one. I know it's really a big one, but I've filled you full. You have everything that you need. Choose to respond. But God, I can't. I know you can't. That's why I filled you full. Choose to respond. God, I can't forgive this person. I know you can't. That's why I filled you full and I've forgiven you so that you can choose to forgive this person. See, in faith, we act on what God said. You're filled full. Given all that you need in Christ. And he also says, who is the head over every power and authority? Satan is alive and well in this world. But we've been filled full with the fullness of Christ. Who is the head over every power and authority so we can resist the enemy? We have to shift our thinking. Boy, this is really a big one, big struggle for me. Oh, yeah, it's really big, but I'm filled full. God, I want to respond. I'm not saying don't cry out to God. Help me, God. Just be willing to hear his response. I already helped you in Christ. Respond. See, when we live, I can, 
I really blew it yesterday. Perhaps today will be better. I'll try harder. My anger is so great, I can't get a handle on it. Where's the focus? On self. Maybe you really blew it yesterday, but what does God say? In Christ, you have forgiveness. You're still redeemed today, and you still have fullness today. So don't live yesterday today. Let yesterday go. I'll try harder. No, I'll rely. In Christ, I have completeness. Ah, my anger is really great. I don't know what to do with it. And God says, I've given you the resources right now to say no. Will you choose in faith to say that I'm complete in Christ, I'm filled full, I'm saying no. Again, that's a choice to live by faith. An example. I'm one that does not show my anger very quickly. There's something that sometimes really bothers me. I respect the leaders of our country and I respect our president and I pray for our president. But occasionally, perhaps more often than I like, he seems to make some decisions that seem to come from President Obama, not for the well-being of the country. This is the way I want it. I don't care about the country. At least it comes across to me that way. And part of me wants to just, you know, not respond so nicely. Mentally, I'll step back and say, okay, I'm not the president. I'm not responsible. My responsibility is to honor him, to pray for him, the leader of our country, the decisions he, has made, he makes will give an account for them. And God is sovereign over our country. So I'll let go of that. Lord, here's my prayer for our president. So that's a choice to live by faith. So how does that apply to freedom? I can't forgive him Or I can't forgive him, but I desire and will since Christ is my life. I just can't forgive. But I will since Christ is my life. I have fullness in Christ. I desire to attend our worship service tonight. You know, just there's a desire. You know, God's working in light of our hearts. I desire to delight in my weakness. I delight in sharing my weakness with others. So someone comes up to you and says, uh, how are you doing, Irene? And Irene says, well, I'm really struggling. I got a lot of weaknesses. You want to hear a couple of them? Well, I'm going to share them. (laughs) Do you ever consider delighting in weakness? That that is a good thing? Why? Why? Because Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, until we admit we're weak, we don't cry out for understanding the resources we have in Christ. 
it's kind of like a little kid trying to lift something very heavy. And dad says, I'll help you, son. Oh, no, no, I can handle it. Dad just lets the boy try a little more, and dad again says, son, I'm willing to help you. Oh, no, no, I can handle it. An hour later, the little guy says, hey, dad, you want to help me? So he had to glory in his weakness before he asked for help. I can't. God says, good, I'm glad you came to that conclusion. Because now you can understand the resources that I give. A couple thought questions. Have you stopped to consider weakness and struggles in the saint? Saint's life are great. Paul says he glories in his weakness. So suppose next Sunday morning I say, okay, for the next hour we're going to have a rejoice in weakness time. So each of you share at least two weaknesses from your life. I don't want to do that. I don't want to reveal who I am. I don't want to share how I struggle. Is that part of the reason we may not have victory? Because we're not willing to admit our own weakness. And I'm not saying you have to share with everyone else. That's not my point. But are we willing to acknowledge it to God? I'm weak. I can't handle this. So when God says we're saints, we've been redeemed, forgiven, we've been filled full, all that ties in with weakness. Another question. Why may some saints go fairly long without victory over temptations and change in their desire for items that are sinful? There may be a number of reasons. A couple would be, maybe they're not practicing body life. Maybe no one really said, look, you've been battling this long enough. Do you even care to change? I really want to change, but God doesn't seem to help me. God has already helped you. You've been filled full. You're a saint. You've been redeemed and forgiven. Are you willing to act? I think that's a big factor sometimes. Someone needs to come alongside us and just say, knock it off. You've been living with this long enough. Apply the victory that you have in Christ. And I'm talking being loving and kind and all of that. I think another factor that might tie in, sometimes we live in a way that kills desire. In my own life, I know there's certain things that will kill my desire for God. Not kill it, but really dampen it. I know what some of those items are, and I've learned to count myself dead to them and not even interact with them. I know there's some places that will tempt me, and they'll affect my desire for God. Don't even go there. I'll give you a couple examples. I go in Barnes and Nobles, I stay away from the magazine rack. Don't even go near it. If I want some magazine, I'll have someone else get it, but I don't want to go near it. 
Personally, I watch very little TV. There's a primary reason why I do, because that just kills my desire for God. And I'm not saying TV is wrong. That's not my point. I'm just talking, you know, myself. But if I'm killing my desire for God, that affects how I respond to him. Comments, thoughts as we close. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You're complete in Christ. He's filled you full. He says, you have all that you need to respond to me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and all that we have in Christ. And Father, we recognize we can't live what we call the Christian life in and of ourselves, but Christ is our life. We're saints. We're redeemed, forgiven, been filled filled full, and help us in our day-by-day living to see how that looks. Those days that we really struggle and seem to take 10 steps backwards with only two forwards, may we again understand that our sainthood has not changed nor is our redemption or forgiveness or completeness. May we focus more and more on Christ as we go to our jobs and live in our families and go to school and so on, and less and less upon ourselves. For your glory, Father, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.